Hello world, welcome back to Hopecast. This is our podcast on spirituality, sexuality, wellness and queerness. I'm Paul here in London, joined as always by my fabulous co-hosts. Hi, Anders here in Amsterdam. Hello, Matthew from London. Hello, Nick here also in London. And I'll say hola, since I'm in Lisbon, this is Yasu. That threw me a bit there, hola. What language do they speak in Lisbon? They speak Portuguese because it's in Portugal. Oh, God, so my geography's terrible. I'm Scottish. <laughs> I don't know anything about anywhere. And so Portuguese for hello is hola? Yeah. Oh, okay. Similar to Spanish, hola. I thought you were about to say, I've moved to Spain. Interesting. Yeah, when you grow up in Scotland, they don't really teach you anything other than what goes on in Scotland. So I can tell you exactly where everything is in Scotland, but I've no idea what goes on outside of the borders <laughs> of that country. So, <laughs> How did you make it out of Scotland? Then I want to know. Quickly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you escaped over the highlands. <laughs> yeah, literally. They smuggled me out in the cover of darkness. <laughs> what was it like? Because Matt, you were in Aberdeen, weren't you? Yeah, I grew up there from age three till 11. Oh. Wow. What did you experience it like as? How was it for you? I learned a lot about Scottish history. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of traveling. Um, I used to swim a lot. So we used to travel around uh, Scotland. I saw some beautiful, beautiful places in Scotland. It's very, um, very beautiful place. I want to go back up, to be honest. It's been a long time. Um, yeah. I had, a, I had a lovely childhood up there, but I never saw the sun. So I, I when we moved back down to to um, to Wales, I arrived like luminescent, and people were like, "Who is this pasty?" Because <laughs> I had a really thick accent when I moved um, moved back down south, and everyone was like, "You look like you haven't seen the sun for eight years," and I hadn't. So. Can you still have this accent? accent? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I had a really, really thick Scottish accent, uh, which some people from my like hometown now still think I'm from Scotland because they remember when I first moved, I was like, hey, you guys, I'm Scotland. I love a good Scottish accent. It's so sexy. I do, I do as well. Have you fully lost the Scottish accent or, or can it come back if you... Um, I mean, I can put it on. Like, I'm sure if I went back up there and talked to some of my friends from Scotland, it would it would come back, no doubt. But yeah, I lost that within like three months of living down in in Wales. Because you don't sound particularly Welsh either. No, it's gone. That was beaten out of me when I came to London. <laughs> She's a chameleon. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, accents has come up before because Nick, I remember you talking once about um, that amazing woman who <laughs> taught you how to speak. <laughs> like, it, there was something about you changing your accent. Yes, yeah, well, that was Mrs. Topham Smith. And um, I used to go over and look after the chickens with her. Um, and uh, she, was, she was probably in her 70s or nearly 80s at that time. And she was one of the village gentlewomen. She'd lived in a large house in the village, then became bankrupt when she was running a building company um, and doing things like putting marble floors into the little cottages that she was renovating and not making any money on them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, as I, I used to go over every day after, after school and after I'd done homework and, and then um, she always had this thing that she said, and this is a very English perspective really, but she used to say, I, I, it's such a shame that people who are, who are really intelligent sort of can't get on because people make assumptions about them because of uh, their accent. Um, and so she always used to tend to take a few people under her wing that <laughs> she sort of like educated from the village. Um, so I was standing there surrounded by chicken shit doing all of these uh, elocution practices. <laughs> <laughs> you were like her Eliza Doolittle. <laughs> I was really, it was totally like Eliza Doolittle. And I so, so wish I had a recording because um, my stepfather did comment once uh, after I, you know, I went to see her from when I was about 13 until you know, I left home at uh, 19. 
and there was a time when my stepfather was saying like oh you know ever since you've been going over there you've just ended up you know getting so posh um <laughs> but you see although I didn't come out until I was 20 but in a way that was my way of rebelling it was like it was me saying I am going to create myself you know and if you don't like it well tough you know mm. um I'm creating myself in the way that I want to and um there was an element also of, I think, you know, looking back at it, the minority stress aspect of growing up gay and the inter and the shame and the feeling there's something wrong with me. And so there was this desperate feeling that I wanted to have the best accent I could have. You know, I wanted to have what was the elite accent in the UK, which is like sounding as if you're from public school. And so <laughs> that then no one could, you know, make me feel as if I was inferior because inside there was this intense feeling of being uh, wrong mm. um, but it worked by the time I went to university and I was at a university with uh, some, a lot of people who had brothers uh, at public schools and, and one of the girls asked me oh were you at Marlborough uh, you? and I was like no she said oh you, you sound exactly like my brother oh. <laughs> I thought isn't that great I didn't have to spend any money and I sound as if I went to public school <laughs> <laughs> and Nessa, do you speak Portuguese living in Lisbon? No, I'm learning. In falo and poco de Portuguese, which is all I can say. It means I speak a little Portuguese. Oh, nice. Sounds but I am good. taking lessons. I am taking lessons. We'll do you see. speak any other languages? Well, I speak French. I can get by in French reasonably well. Give us a bit of French. <laughs> if if you were um like if you were trying to seduce someone in a French bar, what would you say to them in French? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I just speak in English with a French accent. <laughs> oh gosh, seduction days uh, in a bar, you know, that seems like a whole nother world gone Dead by. Time. Yeah. And But let's talk about Andish and get the attention away from me. I know. I, was, I wanted a bit of Swedish. I wanted a bit of like Swedish seduction. <laughs> what would what would be a good kind of chat up line in Swedish? Oh my gosh, uh, I <laughs> I don't know if I know any good uh, like pickup lines in in Swedish. Uh, I about... I can tell you like a terrible joke one. Oh yeah, go on then. Uh, so you could say. Tjena kexet, står du här och smular? <laughs> Which you should never tell anyone. It just means like, hi, uh, let's see. Uh, like, hi, hello, Biscuit. Are you standing here and like dropping crumbs? <laughs> that would totally work on me. <laughs> uh, oh, that's brilliant. Hi, Biscuit, are you dropping crumbs? Yeah, um, I guess you're picking up yeah. on something, <laughs> basically. I remember yeah, I once awkward. hearing yeah. this thing where it... I'm oh, sorry, yeah, there are you two. No, go on, Nick. I'm being silly. I, I remember hearing this thing where it was saying that if you want to connect with someone, and then particularly say if you're, say, sort of flirting or a pick-up type thing, and, um, is um, to sort of compliment something about an aspect of them that they've made a choice over. So obviously you could say, like my, my, my father, the, the, his first greeting to my mother was to send a drink to her via the barman. And the barman said that the man down there said to give this to the woman with the beautiful green eyes. So oh. she thought like, oh, that's a bit oh. like. But obviously she didn't, she hadn't chosen her eyes. So it was nice that someone had noticed them. But the last time I ate successfully, <laughs> like picked someone up in a club and, and that was before the last lockdown. Um, there's uh, this guy I saw, he, I really liked his beard and I sort of thought, I really like the way you've grown your beard and the shape of it and everything. And, um, so I remembered this and I just went up to him and I said, oh, hi, hey, and he said, I really like your beard. Um, he sort of, like smiled back and said, oh, my beard really likes your face. <laughs> oh. Ooh. And that was that. And that was that. And then we walked home that night and so it was sort of went quite successfully for a pickup um, that's such a good way to do it like compliment something that they've done deliberately 
so yeah so like the clothing an item of clothing they've got or you know how they styled their beard or rather than just saying going up and because he i thought he was handsome but you know if you just go up and say oh you're so handsome yeah. so like, he hasn't it's like, oh, some people say that. What did you say? Matthew. <laughs> Less subtle than you're fit. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I was on the beach yesterday, on the gay beach, of course, and it was a gorgeous day. And this guy was nearby and we got chatting. And then later he texted me, I, my number, we were talking. And he said, you have such a beautiful aura. Mm. And I said, oh, can you read auras? Because I can't. And then he said, no, I actually can't read them. But I can pick up on, I can pick up on things like that when, on someone's energy. So he said something like that. So that was kind of sweet. I, I love think. when, oh, sorry. I love when people say you've got a great energy. I think that's the most, like, the biggest compliment someone can give you because it's not aesthetic. It's not, uh, it's how someone makes you feel. And I think that's, like, the best. Mm, yes, just, there wasn't uh, too much aesthetics going on in my swimsuit on the beach, for sure. <laughs> I, <laughs> Having not I, gone to the gym, so I appreciated he saw my energy and not, not my <laughs> Cloaked in energy. I just had someone, uh, this was not a romantic, any type of flirt or anything, but someone recently told me via text that um, they said something like, you've got the vibe and then they used a peacock emoji and i was like that's amazing like that's mm -hmm. that's such yeah, a good yes. compliment like vibe and peacock <laughs> why did that resonate with you what was that speaking to well first of all i just thought it was so smart to like represent a good vibe with a peacock and then second of all i was like if my vibe is peacock to this person then i feel confident. <laughs> Paul, what about you? I mean, when Dan met you, did he compliment your beard across the room? I didn't have a beard back then. Um, so I ended up doing a bit of chasing of Dan, actually. Oh. Um, because we, like, there was two groups of friends who had gone out, and I was in one group, he was in another, and we all ended up going to a nightclub. And I don't think Dan had any idea that I liked him because he spent most of the evening going, oh, what do you think about that guy over there? Should I go and chat him up? <laughs> and I just kept going, no, don't do that. <laughs> and there was, it, I mean, we still talk about it now because there was one guy who he said, I think he's really nice. I went, Dan, he's wearing sandals in a nightclub. So no. And that's the point when I had to say to him, I think I said something, oh, cringing now. I think I said something like, do I have to just kiss you to shut you up or something like that? Um, which was quite romantic, actually. Um, we still argue over what happened next because he he denies this to this day. But he said, should I cancel my taxi home? And I said, no, go home. Because I was I already thought I really like him. I think he's really lovely. And I don't just want this to be like, yeah, cancel your cab, come home. And so we met up the next day. We met up in Leicester Square in London. We had ice cream and we sat around in the grass and got to know each other. Uh, but he denies that and I will not have it. That's a lie. He says he never offered to cancel his taxi and I know he did. And now I'm putting it out there publicly forever. <laughs> but yeah, I was, um, I, yeah, I was just quite smitten and he just was completely oblivious. We get an extra cast with Dan's side of the story. Yes. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> we only deal with truth. <laughs> Your truth, Paul, right? <laughs> yeah, my truth. Uh, he still denies it. And it's weird because I, you know, that, that was 21 years ago. And I, I you know, I'm, I, I know everyone um, enjoys different aspects of gay life, but there is a bit of me that misses that kind of flirty sort of, you know. I, I often have said to single friends, please, can we just go out and like go and try and pick people up? Because it doesn't make, it, I don't care. It means nothing to me. I can just go and chat to people and do a bit of practice. But you can try out some skills, but no one's taken me up on the offer. So if anyone's listening who wants to go out on a bit of a flirty night out, <laughs> Nick, right, we're on. <laughs> but I love it because I think I'm quite good at it. And I think I've also got 
there's no stakes in it. And so in a way, there's no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I go up to someone and say, you've got a nice beard. And he goes, yeah, fuck off. That's fine, whatever. Well, you know, one, one of the things I've only finally really been able to start acting on it, but I read this thing when I first came to London about this man who I was talking a bit about dating or, or, or like pulling really. And, and, and he, it was saying about this guy who used to go out on a Friday night and everyone he found attractive in the bar, he'd go up to them and chat to them or ask if they wanted to drink or whatever. If he was coming on their beards or whatever he was doing. <laughs> um, and he would get about, you know, he'd get 10, 15, 20 no's, but he'd always end up meeting someone that he liked, that he would then click with, and by the end of the evening, he'd be with them. And, you know, when I first came to London and when I first started to try to go out or talking to people, my negative self-view was that if I walked up to one person, tentatively tried to talk to them and then they then brushed me off, I just spend the rest of the evening just in this really, like, wounded, mm. fragile face feeling like, oh, you see, I really am hopeless, <laughs> not wanted. But that, that night that I clicked with this this... Beard, beardy guy um i'd actually gone up to i think two maybe two men before that and sort of one of them i complimented his t-shirt and thought oh that's a really cool t-shirt i really like that design and we chatted but then it turned and then another guy came and they started snogging so i thought oh right okay you're already sort of <laughs> occupied <laughs> and then the other guy who i chatted to he just wasn't interested um and it was really interesting because like building that sense of self-worth was was actually about be, being able to then be like, well, they're just making their choice mm. and that's fine. You know, my, my choice is I actually find you quite attractive, but, you know, and I've shown that and, and you've responded by showing that either you're already with someone else or you're just not interested and that doesn't impact on my worth. Mm. So I can still approach someone else and still have a sense of like, you know, I feel you know worthy to be able to go up yeah. and if by the end of the evening no one has responded well again that's fine that doesn't impact on my self-worth it's just there was no one there that I happened to sort of click with that uh, particular evening yes you can't be responsible for other people's bad judgment <laughs> exactly <laughs> I don't agree with you <laughs> and on the flip side of that I remember uh, a coach saying to me years ago um, you don't have to make everyone fancy you. Mm. And that was like a newsflash <laughs> to me. I kind of went, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Because I think there was something about me that was just like, everyone is going to fall in love with me. And and so if if I did talk to someone and they weren't interested or, you know, they would kind of immediately just put me in the friend zone, I'd be like, no, I'm going to convince you. And there was something, I remember that coach saying that, and I remember just going, ah, oh, such a relief. <laughs> it's okay if people don't fancy me. That's fine. It's actually quite nice. And yeah, that it, it was useful. And the other useful thing, I remember there was, it was like a really early reality show in the UK. It was called Would Like to Meet. And it was these three, it was like a, a confidence coach, uh, style person and uh, uh, like a sex coach and they would work with people who were self-identified as hopeless and they would teach them how to go and talk to people and it was so brilliant to watch that I remember the one thing they said that always stuck with me was you have to follow up that comment of oh I like your beard or I like your t-shirt you have to use the word sexy because otherwise it just could be oh that's a nice t-shirt but then if you go, it's really sexy on you. There's something very deliberate about that intention that just kind of takes it from, oh, yeah, I like your T-shirt. Where did you get it? To, yeah, it's really sexy on you. So that's my tip, my one tip that I can give, and it's not even mine. I stole it from a reality show. Matt, do you get people coming on to you when you're in drag? Um, oh... <laughs> yeah, sometimes un unwanted attention. Um, yeah, I've had I've I've had some advances, and I'm like, get off me now. Um, yeah, generally, I, it's funny when like you're saying about like going to bars and stuff and meeting people. I'm generally with 
friends or I'm like out dancing when I'm out. So I don't really have these moments of like, oh, I might go and talk with them. Um, I don't know where this kind of places I'm going, but yeah, if I'm out, I'm kind of dancing on the on the dance floor. And if, if there's a if there's a connection on the dance floor, then so be it. <laughs> Talking, flirting through dance. Um, yeah, what was the question? My brain sort of <laughs> about people coming onto you when you're in drag. Oh, uh, is um, there something about the outfit or the distracting breasts that people just go, oh, "I'm going to come onto you" when they haven't seen you without it? Yeah, there definitely is, and I think there's definitely a there's definitely an attraction from gay men seeing someone in drag and knowing that there's a male body underneath. Um, for me, anyway um to me I mean um I don't know what that is I think it's like knowing that it's an illusion and underneath there is something that they might want or it's like it's it feels forbidden or it feels like I don't know there is there is some um there is something there Anders do you get people coming on to you even though you're in a relationship I usually wouldn't probably not be aware if they are. <laughs> what if someone said, oh, I like those glasses, they're really sexy on you. Like, would you pick up on that or would you just go, oh, yeah, thanks and whatever? Uh, I maybe would pick up on it and I would probably just be like, OK, thanks. Uh, very awkward about that. I, I would be so uncomfortable, actually, which I don't really know why there's no need. Um, but I'm also very rarely, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so rarely in a situation where, where that is likely to happen. Uh, so I feel like it would also be a little bit shocking to me because I just, I mean, we don't tend to, uh, go out too much or, um, like end up, uh, <laughs> we, we don't meet that many new people. Um, so. I just feel like I'm a little bit uh, protected from having to even learn how to deflect anything or, or so. Where do you think that discomfort is? Is it just because you're married or is it just generally if someone came onto you, is there just a natural kind of like, oh, push that away? Um, I think maybe a little bit of both actually uh but um i would usually prefer you know if i'm going to be in a situation where like before i met my husband and so on i would probably have wanted to be in pretty controlled environments still uh where you don't have to like all of a sudden react to someone who you didn't even see before who comes up um i don't know this just uh tells everyone a lot about me, I think. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not, uh, I, traditionally I haven't been uh, one for spontaneous uh, anything. More so now, I'm a more spontaneous human now, but back then uh, that would have been before I was 20, I guess. So how did your husband yeah, break down those walls? Like what was the, what was your origin story? How did you actually well, meet? <laughs> we met on Tumblr. Thunder. We just had blogs and uh, stumbled across each other's blogs. And um, he reblogged one of my photos and I said, thanks. And then we started chatting and uh, he lived in DC. I lived in Stockholm and uh, oh. uh, I already wanted to move to America and he already really <laughs> was really into Europe. Uh, <laughs> we just hit it off. We have very similar backgrounds too with, how we grew up in evangelical churches and weren't really super out uh, at the time. So we just had started talking and then within a year of that, I moved to America and now we live in wow. Amsterdam. Oh, so sweet. It's a longer story, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Tumblr. I mean, there's just so much synchronicity in that. You know, from from, I mean, the the fact that anyone can find anyone's blog, is amazing, and then he saw something in a photo that 
obviously had some kind of significance for him. And then suddenly you're like, oh, you're in America. I want to go to America. And he's like, oh, you're European. And that you're both gay and that you both had an evangelical back. I mean, it feels almost a bit too <laughs> coincidental. But maybe there's some aspect of, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we've, we've had some of those uh, kind of odd, really uh, kind of seemingly pre-planned <laughs> occurrences, you know. Um, but I think that's been really helpful too. I mean, obviously growing up in uh, rural Northern Sweden and on the American East Coast are two very different lives. So that's of course a big difference, but I think we just had a lot to, I mean, when we met too, we were like in a long distance relationship for such a long time that we just talked about everything. So we knew everything about each other once we actually lived in the same place. Then you had nothing to talk about. Exactly. Now we just sit quietly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do you think God had anything to do with it? Like bringing I mean, them together? For me, I would say yes. Um, there's also, uh, I, want, I want to tell uh, all the stories, but I just, with some alignments uh, in timing, it seemed very uh perfect and and well set up um which also brings me uh, uh this might take a little while but uh i always like wanted to believe that etc um and then on our, our on our wedding day uh we got married in iceland um in a little um church next to a hotel out in the middle of nowhere um we had brought all uh, or not all, but friends and family over to Iceland to this magnificent, beautiful place. And uh, we were just like, as long as it doesn't like rain or whatever else, it's all gonna be fine. But we got to the location and it was so foggy, you couldn't see anything. And we we're just like, we promise we're next to beautiful mountains and the sea and it's, it is really pretty and <laughs> like, but no one could see anything. We we're like, okay, this is kind of a bummer. Um, and we like got ready, started taking some of our photos before the wedding and things started clearing up a little bit. Um, and everyone like walked into the church. It was still like cloudy, foggy. And then like to, to shorten the story, uh, basically we walked up to the church and then they like opened the doors and the sun just like came out and shone directly in like behind us and into the church as we walked in. Uh, and this amazing uh, Icelandic priest who did our ceremony, he was like, this is a God thing. I just <laughs> like, just want to tell you that basically. Uh, so it felt like a, a blessed ceremony. Uh, so that's, yeah. <laughs> we're all just sitting like, oh. Literally, that's so, so cool. That's yeah. so beautiful. God uh, loves gay. I, I really think so. Uh, and I mean, to me, it's been so helpful to have, um, you know, the person I'm with is someone who understands where I come from and what I grew mm -hmm. up with and the faith that we both still share also. Um, I think that's been, I, I that maybe also is why I would have been uncomfortable with flirting before is that I was like, I need to be with someone who shares my faith to some to some degree, probably, or who understands um, what that's like, and it's been it's been good. That's such a lovely story. I just have images of like that beam of light, and <laughs> you know, suddenly the the angels singing. That's beautiful. <laughs> what about you, Yasser? How would someone uh, convince <clears throat> you to leave with them? Like, what would be the kind of thing that would um, work if someone was to say oh, is it i like your aura or is it something else probably it's probably i like your aura um i don't mind the compliments about oh you look you're looking good you're looking hard you're sexy that uh, some other it's nice but it's sort of oh you just want to get into my pants and uh i can appreciate that but i sort of 
prefer someone to see me and want to have a conversation and find out about who I am and not just objectify me as a piece of meat. I can't believe I'm saying that. There are times that's been nice, but... Yeah, it's better to say I don't mind that bit so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just... Uh, just more interested in more genuine connection and conversation. And even when I was younger and would go to bars, I would almost never go home with someone because I was really always wanting something more. So I'd say, oh, can't we meet for coffee tomorrow or brunch? And it would almost, it would never happen because back then that wasn't what it was about. Gay men were often just into the pleasure. And I just, I wanted the romance. I wanted the candlelight dates. I wanted this, I wanted that. Um, and so I'd often say no, because I really just didn't want to be the flash in the pan moment. Sometimes I regretted it because I said, Dad, you were so hot. I should have gone home with him when I had the chance. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that saved my life too. This was all during the era of HIV and, you know. But yeah, I was always, even in college when I came out, I just, I had very overly romantic notions of um, dating, you know, thanks to the invention of romance in the 17th century and you know knights on white horses carrying me away and just my imagination was just always running riot and it wasn't like that in college no one was particularly interested in carrying me away on a white horse maybe just you know for one night but mm. so i always held out for prince charming and yeah you've got a few prince charmings along the way but there have been a lot of frogs how do you find waiting, it in, to, waiting to kiss the prince <laughs> yeah, do you find in, it in yeah, with language like do you find it easy to kind of <clears throat> go and talk to people or do you have to initially get past that thing of going oh will this person even understand me if i start talking to him well there's not much happening in person because the bars and all are still closed and mm. i'm not exactly putting myself in crowded venues but there is chatting on tinder and other online venues and it's interesting usually the first thing I'll say is, do you speak English? You know, I'll say, Fales English in, in Portuguese. And sometimes they do, and then it's easy. And often they'll say, no, I don't really speak English very well, which means they do speak, but they're so embarrassed often here about their English. And I'd say, you speak perfectly good English. Um, at least it's 10 times better than my Portuguese. Um, but then they're embarrassed. But what ends up happening, there's a certain age group of men in my age group in their 40s and in their 50s. And there was a time when French was taught here, you know, the Portuguese and French have had a apparently relationship going back to a lot of French people here and a lot of Portuguese who went to France. So they taught French. So I've met a lot of guys who speak French in my age group. And when they find out that I speak some French, they just want to talk in French. And they don't want to go to English because they're embarrassed. My Portuguese is way worse, so we can't communicate. So my French is getting quite good, actually, living here. My Portuguese, not so much. <laughs> it does i mean it speaks to something matt was saying earlier about you know if you go to a club you're there to dance and i guess things like the the advent of apps and tinder and grinder and scruff and all that it there isn't really a need to go up to talk to someone in a pub anymore you know partly because you could probably find them then just send them a message or you know is it that people are going out just to have a nice time and to dance. Whereas for me, you know, 20 odd years ago, I'd go out on the pool, you know, that would be my reason for going out. Whereas you don't need to do that anymore. You can, if you want to go on the pool, you stay at home. I, yeah, it's interesting. No, I think, I think a lot of it was me. I think it's obviously the, the people I was with, a lot of straight girls is in my um, social sphere. So maybe if I was in a group of gay guys, that, that would have been much more prevalent for me and also yeah, I guess like shame and kind of same as Yasir waiting for Prince Charming and, and wanting some kind of romance. So I wasn't I wasn't particularly after like flash in the pan things as well. Um, but no, it, it does definitely happen. I think less so now. I think people rely so much on the apps and stuff that actually going up to speak to someone in person is so rare. Um, so yeah, if anyone <clears throat> if anyone does approach me or one of my friends I'm like good on them like that takes some courage these days when you can literally just go ping 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 um and yeah I'm, I'm old-fashioned I uh I always say I think I was born in the wrong era like technology and stuff just doesn't 
doesn't sit right with me. I like in person, face to face. I'm I'm the same and uh, sort of pre just before the pandemic really hit I'd really made a determination that year that I was going to really limit using any apps and and sort of go out more to do the things that I enjoy whether, whether it's going dancing or um, you know going to a walking group or um, I remember a, a tip I read was you know basically do the things you enjoy you know, join these social groups around what you enjoy doing um and then and then see you know who you resonate with in in that in that group or as you as so the the impulse isn't to sort of go there to meet someone which you it, where when you're going on an app it, you know it generally is um but the other the other thing with the app and i know a lot of people comment on this it's not a an unusual thing to say but it's like you know what i just really notice is this sense of loneliness there is that you know and, and I've heard people talk who were in London, you know, pre-apps, and they say, you know, yeah, you know, you'd go out for a night, you'd go for a drink, and you'd know that all the other guys who are like silently standing there on the edges of the rooms, <laughs> just looking in, um, were also there because they were interested in meeting someone. Um, uh, and if you didn't get to pull that night, well, you know, you'd made maybe had a couple of conversations or you'd spent the evening with your friend and you'd gone dancing and you'd had a few drinks and you'd had a chat. And now it's like, you know, I know when I've done it, it's, it's sometimes, you know, you can it can be hours that you're sort of sitting there on the app, sort of like writing away and having these endless conversations, which aren't conversations. Um, they're, they're just like, hey, how are you? Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm just at home. Oh, no, me too. I'm horny. Oh, yeah, really, so am I, yeah. I saw a video, a YouTube thing a few days ago where a gay guy and a lesbian swapped apps and they were they were dating for each other or using the apps for each other. And the gay guy was saying like, well, wow, it's like on this lesbian app, it's like, everyone wants to have a conversation. <laughs> and the woman was sort of going like, it's like, after they just said, hey, and I've said, hi, like then, they're, then they're asking for photos. <laughs> True. Do you think from, so one of your, one of your, that's the wrong start to that sentence. When I came to the meditation group that you run, Nick, that was probably yeah. one of the first times in a long time that I'd been in a men only gay space that wasn't a nightclub. Mm -hmm. And it was such a completely different energy. You know, people were there to meditate and to chat. And sometimes that was easy and sometimes it was less easy. Do you think there've been any romances emerge from your meditation group? Like, do you think people have, got to know each other and then paired off like have you have you created any couples through your your space yes well you know i mean we were getting up to around 40 or 50 men there a night say like in the springtime um and so i think a large part of it was that we we had about a 20 minute tea break um and so you, there was an opportunity then in an informal way to have conversations um and it and it wasn't it wasn't a situation where you're in a bar and it was a bit obvious because you're starting to talk to someone um so i know i know friendship groups have emerged from it and there are people who are still in a friendship network um where they meet up together but they'd actually stopped coming to the group but their friendship group had continued to lots of other friendship networks got established over the last uh, 12 years and then sort of went off as their own little universe and carried on somewhere and is probably still going on. So definitely friendships have emerged. I know there was one evening when two people came who were new um, and they came separately and they were chatting in the social afterwards and then they left together. Um, <laughs> and one of them went bright, bright red as they were saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> But the really sad thing was that they then both came back the following week, but they sat in separate seats, <gasps> oh. didn't talk to each other, and then neither of them came back again after that. Oh, it's like that a play is, in three acts. <laughs> it is, yes, where it's sort of like gay life, isn't it? <laughs> See someone, fancy them, pause them, have sex with them, then never talk to them again. <laughs> 
<laughs> if your if your sort of attachment style has got triggered and if one of you is anxiously attached and the other is avoidant and then it's like oh this is really good should we do this again uh, oh, oh yeah fine <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the dust on the horizon. Yeah, maybe wait till the second time, like the second week, because you go I mean, from my experience of going to that group, you know, go along and go, oh, what's this all about? And then I couldn't wait to come back. I think if I'd, mm. um, you know, if you make that decision on week one, that you're going to go home with someone, then you've either got to go, right, I'm going to stick with this and go back to the group regardless, or I'm never going to go back again. And so there is something about, yeah commit to the group and then whatever happens happens but no one's ever told me that they've met a boyfriend through it i i think one one time i will put in the group email just out of curiosity <laughs> you know it, i'd like to know if you know if it had facilitated that or or if maybe people did tend to feel i think what people used to say is they really i'm mean, using past tense because you know we haven't been meeting for 18 months or so um, although we should be starting again in August, but um, I think people very much felt, you know, wow, this is a space where I can talk to anyone and it's not a sexual space. It's like, you know, in the tea break, people would often say, it's like, well, I can talk to people I wouldn't usually talk to in a bar because I'm not feeling that this person is coming on to me or, you know, that I'm going to have to be expected to go home with them if I talk to them. So you've got people of different ages talking um, different experiences and, and, and people would often comment you know oh this is really nice I don't really get this anywhere else and that can lead to a sort of a deepening or an interest or something more right because the defenses are down and you may say oh I actually really like this person and they really like you and you're having a real conversation and you're able to drop all the stuff that goes up in a gay bar setting where you feel, you know, you have to be defensive. So I think that can feel attractive as well. That vulnerability can be more attractive as well sometimes because we, mm -hmm. we don't get that right often, unfortunately, in the rest of the gay world. We're well, curious it about connects. it. I don't know whether this is true for all of us, but I'm just really curious about you know, Matt, you said about going out and being with a group of straight women and Anders, you said, we don't really go out much and meet those new people. Like, is there a common theme for us that we don't have loads of gay male friends? Or is it well, just my friends are gay males? So. Oh, really? Okay. I have a good number of gay male friends, but I do have a lot of straight women friends, actually. Mm -hmm. And I love my straight women friends. And I have some straight male friends as well, but over the years, as they get married off to women and have children and stuff, I find they drift off and the wives are the ones who stay in touch. Um, so I've lost a lot of my straight male friends over the years, but the women stay around because they like hanging us with us gay men. They're more evolved. I was talking to someone who I won't name because I didn't get his permission to use this quote, but he just had such a brilliant talk. He was saying about him and his husband when they go to straight weddings, they call it friend funerals because they know that they're not going to see them again. <laughs> they get married and that's it. They're just gone. That's how I, I, I will confess, that's how I feel when a friend announces that they've gotten pregnant. Mm. I'm like, okay, I will never hear from you again. Yeah. Really? And you will maybe not hear from me, like if we're being honest. Like it, because you're, you're taking two very different paths, uh, which can be a little heartbreaking. I'm very interested in, in staying friends with people who build families or go, you know, get married or do something else. Uh, but it, I mean, those things do become a different lifestyle. That's, yeah, that's interesting, actually. I love a lot of my, um, friends are now married, but they are all very adamant that they, their lives aren't going to change when they're having kids and stuff, and which is quite nice um, in theory. None of them have kids yet, and I can see, I, I see them as, as much as I did before. Um, but I guess in, I think in recent years as well, I have more gay friends, male gay friends, than I did in my early 20s and, and prior 
um, probably feeling a lack of um, yeah friendship and companionship I guess in the in the gay community I'd felt like I needed something um, more that I wasn't getting from from female or straight friends. Yeah, I felt that way in recent years too, where I like sat down and I was like, wait, I basically only know straight people <laughs> and a lot of straight women, of course. And I, you know, I think it was also, you know, starting to realize more and more and maybe um, tied into the whole uh, getting married or starting families and so on. I started realizing more and more that I'm like, I am more different from these friends than I maybe thought I was originally. Um, we have different, um, um, maybe not opportunities, I'm looking for the word, um, but just it, it became clearer to me that I felt more different than I had before. And so I've, I've made more of an effort to like put myself in gay or queer spaces a little bit, not maybe as much as I should have, um, but that's where like meditation groups, et cetera, and even just finding those spaces where it's not something that can be turned into basically a dating scene or that is from the beginning supposed to be a dating scene and so on. I think there there is more of that than I expected. And that brings me joy. Do you, and maybe this is a conversation for another episode, but um, do you and your husband ever think you'll have kids? Uh, no, we will not. He's pretty, he's pretty clear about that. Not <laughs> 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 <Love> happening. <laughs> nope. Uh, I have always been quite certain of that. <laughs> I feel no guilt either because I have so many nieces and nephews. So the the family gene pool <laughs> continues. Yeah, my family tree stops here. That's it. End of the line. And And I did feel guilty about that for a long time, actually, because I used to think of all those people who survived harsh winters in their caves and fought wars and managed to somehow carry on. And then I go, okay, thanks, I'll just stop here then. But I also came to terms of a long time ago that it's not my job to do that. Mm. I'm not just here to create another person. I'm here to experience life and make the most of it. And I hope that all those ancestors who slept through those cold winters would go, oh yeah, that was worth it. Mm. That was good. It turned out all right in the end. So yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah, and that's where I like the, the Buddhist approach, which is that, you know, the body is a, is a temporary home for consciousness, but the transmigration or the rebirth of consciousness over millennia, you know, um, the significant thing is really, you know, what, how does consciousness evolve in this lifetime and, and, and how will it um, take birth uh, in, in the next life? Um, now, obviously, you know, people believe what they believe, but from my practice, it's, you know, I feel it's not, I don't have to pass on something biological. Um, there's a combination that, you know, my life and work and sharing, it's like as gay men traditionally, you know, our purpose in the tribe was to nurture the tribe. We, we didn't have children, but we would nurture the tribe through being the the shamans and the druids and the and the people who held sacred space, um, or the artists, um, and and so you know our our care or, or you know traditionally having a, a gay uh, relative in the family meant there was an extra man to care for the gene pool to to help the nieces and nephews survive and. So evolutionary, there's almost a sense that, you know, being gay was to be part of this collective family unit. And then you helped that family unit survive by being an extra uh, person within that. So um, there isn't that need to sort of feel I have to have children as well. Um, but I very much, I mean, my when, when I was in therapy, when I was 19 and I was dealing with coming out, I had this big thing about 
oh, I should have children. I want to have children. And then I realized, well, really, I just want to have children so I can try and live out all the things I felt I didn't have as a child myself and give them some sort of like wonderful, perfect childhood and, um, but live it all out through them. And I thought, well, no, I, I can. And the thing that my therapist kept feeding back, because I was like, yeah, this thing is if I'm gay, I'm not going to have children. And then we, we kept talking about this. And and then eventually I just really clicked. And it was like, you know, my, my life is how I create myself. I don't have to do it screw any and anything else and uh and then once i came across buddhism then there was that sense of like well how i live my life now will shape this consciousness and how this consciousness will take rebirth and that is my uh that is my child <laughs> like the future self in some future life that is is you know uh inheriting the the actions of this lifetime love that i did have a moment last year during the pandemic where my instagram ads were getting very personal and one kept popping up for the london sperm bank and so i clicked on it i thought i'll just check it out and then it told me i was too old so that was that <laughs> they didn't want my old man ghost sperm <laughs> and so there was a bit of closure where i kind of went oh okay well that's not even an option now so there you go. I think for me, um, I've always toed and froed from like whether I want kids or not. My headspace now, I'm definitely feeling my role as a queer person is to pass on my knowledge and wisdom and like parenting uh, in inverted quotes um, through other people, through my nieces and nephews and probably extended families. Um, and also to, to friends and um, yeah, I think that's my parental role will not be from biological. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not against it, but right where, right where I am now and the way the world is, I just don't feel like I need that, but I'm not against it. I hadn't really thought of it like that, actually, or not certainly not in those words, that sense of you can you can parent by passing stuff on. And it was even making me think about, you know, because, you know, you are um, the younger of the group. And yeah, I feel like I still learn so much from you and how you show up in the world. So it's not even an age thing. It's not like having having to pass on to younger people. I think just by being there, being in the world, you are you are passing that on. It's just it's. It's coming from the heart, not the balls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is that the title of the podcast? <laughs> yeah, there's the episode title, yeah. How about you, Yasser? You know, have, you, have you changed your mind at any point? Or do you think there will be a, a place of going, hmm? I never wanted my own biological children. I never felt that drive or urge to spread my seed and you know have little versions of me running around. To me, that almost feels this, uh, feels a bit self-centered, egotistical to sort of want to see your particular genes propagated. It's fine if people do, but I would always have adopted. It was always the thing I would have done when it came to kids. But I would have only done it had I met someone at an appropriate point in my life, which is much younger than I am now, where I'd have had the energy and the wherewithal to raise children. Um, and that was a bit of a fantasy that that could happen. Well, maybe not a fantasy, but if the right things have worked out, I could see adopting children. Um, but then I got to a certain point where it wasn't, didn't happen. And I got to a point in life where, you know, I wanted time for myself and other things. And children, are, they take a lot of devotion and energy. And, you know, it's, it's a, I've seen all my friends who've had kids, it's a full-time job. And you have to love your kids and it, they get something wonderful from it. So I have these moments of giving kids a home when they need it. And, it would, have been, it would have been a girl, because then you can dress girls up in pretty little frocks and things, which is so much fun. <laughs> so I've adopted a girl. But now, um, you know, if I meet someone and they have kids attached at this point, they're probably older kids. I have no problem with that. But it was never a requirement for me. And now it feels I have my two nephews. And as Matt says, there's other ways to be in this world. I mean, it feels, you know, it's a bit of selfishness too. You know, I, I have my freedom. 
I get to follow the hobbies and things I enjoy doing. I have enough money to spend on things I want to do without having to pay school fees and uniforms. And it's actually okay. Um, kids are wonderful. But at this stage in life, you know, I can enjoy other people's children's much more, which I do. And, I don't think and then selfish. they get to go home at the end of the day. I don't think it's selfish at all. The world has no uh, expectations of us. Nothing. It's people who place those expectations on us. Yeah. Um, but somehow, you know, there is that, that narrative of, oh, well, we should have children or we should carry on the human race. You know, whether I don't think the world would miss us if we weren't here, to be honest. I think it would probably be better without us. But there is this obsession with, you know, we must yeah. carry on the, the genetic pool. But the world does not expect that of us. It's people who think that. Yeah. And expectations, right? And in my culture and religion, you expected getting married and having children is almost seen as a religious requirement. Um, and I don't really buy into that. But, you know, for my parents, it's always hard because, you know, I'm the only son. So talk about ending of a family line. And in South Asian families, that seems to carry a lot of weight. So I had some guilt about that for a while. But like you, Paul, I sort of let go. You know, my sister has the nephews and, you know, maybe the line ends and it ends. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have to. Those genes are still getting transmitted through my sister and her two children. You know, and wherever that goes, we'll see. But yeah, you're right. We have to release ourselves from this trap and a way of having to procreate to prove who we are right otherwise you're Thank a baby you for the reminder. born with a, you're a baby born with a job that one day you'll <laughs> you'll have another one rather than just going well come into the world welcome let's see who you turn out to be and how you add some wonder into the world oh that's beautiful how to add wonder into the world hmm well, we've had a wide ranging, we came in, I don't think we even got past, how are you? And we, we've kind of come to almost to the end of the episode without even pausing for breath. So fantastic. And Yasser, I wonder if you could lead us into a short meditation. You have so many topics that you can choose from, from what we've talked about, or it could be something completely different, but it would be oh, lovely just yes. to have a bit of time to pause and reflect. Absolutely. Let's just start and see where it goes. I have no idea. I'm calling the wisdom of the ancestors. Okay, so maybe just take a moment to close our eyes and just take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. On your own, a few more breaths in and out. And we've all shared so much today on this podcast and so many topics and issues affecting us. So just let all that go. And see if you can find a place of peace amidst all this. Let all the mental constructs fall away. What we should do or shouldn't do, what we could have done or didn't do, what we wanted at one stage in our life but we don't want now what others expect of us, oh, all of that. Let's take a deep breath in. And as you breathe out, just imagine that like a house of cards being blown away. Let's just be in the space of what's left. When all that has blown away, It's just this moment. There's just this breathing.
And as we breathe in and breathe out, just appreciate this moment that we're fully in life, we're fully alive. And we're here because of the ancestors and all the generations before us. who made it so that we could be here today. We can appreciate them for the life they've given us. For walking the earth. For getting through life in more troubling or difficult times. And then transitioning away as we will one day as well. Even as we sit here and breathe, there are some taking their last breath from this world. And there are others breathing for the first time, getting birthed into this world. And so we can just see ourselves as part of this vast web of life. A wave rising and falling, each crest representing one of us arising and then falling away over millennia into infinity. And so let's just crash onto the shores of life. Just remember to not hold back and just be like a wave in its full force. Lots of froth in the air, lots of noise and sound and beauty. And just crashing onto the shores of life. There's nothing to do, there's nothing to be, there's nothing to prove. And just paying attention to your breathing. Remembering that we're here right now in this life now. Slowly open your eyes. Thank you, Asa. That was really beautiful. I think I found my new favourite mantra, make more froth. <laughs> the, frothy, the frothier, the better. <laughs> As we crash against, crash our waves against life. Oh, such a lovely image. And that brings us to the end of another Hopecast. It's been such a lovely, interesting, unexpected episode. Um, our next episode is number 10. I know that we've done extra casts in between, but our 10th one uh, feels quite special because not many podcasts actually get to number 10. 
And it's hopefully going to be an episode where we get everyone back on the show at the same time, which actually hasn't happened since episode one. And we're going to be doing a bit of a look back at what are some of the meaningful moments, the the things that have meant something to us in these first 10 episodes. And we'd also love to hear from you. If there's something that's come up during a Hopecast so far, something that's had a bit of resonance or made you smile or given you hope, then get in touch and we'll feature that clip on episode 10. Uh, you can follow us on all of our socials at Hopecast Podcast. You can email us wwbd at hopecastpodcast.com with your favourite moments or with a question for what would Buddha do. You can visit our website at hopecastpodcast.com. And if you like what we do, then please leave us a review or a rating. Uh, five stars, please. Anything less is homophobic. Uh, it really means a lot to us when we hear from you. So thanks for listening to another Hopecast, and we'll see you again on episode 10.